Now, as we get into God's Word today, when, uh, when my four sons were growing up, when they would come home from elementary school, the first thing they had to do was their homework. Before TV, before dinner, before playing outside, the very first thing they had to do was to make sure they got their homework assignment done. And so Lady Sharon and I, we would take turns on helping them with their homework. And I always thought I was pretty good in math. And so whenever it was a math situation with our children in elementary school, Sharon would always tell them, go ask your dad to help you. And I didn't have no problem. I liked math. I always did. I thought I was good at it until they got into about the fifth grade. And I started seeing some things I hadn't seen before. I'm like, man, this, I guess this is what they call new math. Uh, and that new math got the best of me. So we said, your teacher got to help you. You got to get a friend to help you. We get a tutor to help you. But I, I couldn't deal with that, that new math. And here's what the Holy Spirit said to me. That Jeffrey Johnson, if you're struggling with math in the natural and in the physical, imagine how much you're going to struggle with math in the supernatural and math in the spiritual. You sitting up here tripping off quotients and givens and plus and minus and formulas and equations. How are you going to handle the mathematics of God? And that's what I want to talk about. I want us because I'm not the only one to struggle with. Some of y'all struggled in school yourself with mathematics and then helping your children and grandchildren with their homework. And you struggle with that in the, in the natural and in the physical. So we're going to need the revelation of God in the supernatural and in the spiritual to understand God's mathematics. That's what I want to talk about today. God's mathematics. And I want to look at Acts chapter 2, verse 47. Acts chapter 2, verse 47. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts, let them be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, you are our strength and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 2, verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And the Lord added. We're going to look at God's mathematics, see if we can figure that out. And this verse 47, of course, follows in the earlier parts of Acts 2, the birth of the church. And E.K. Bailey says, the church at its birth was the church at its best. When those 120 believers were in that upper room and the Holy Spirit descended and there was the sound of a rushing mighty wind and there were separate fire that was shaped like tongues that set up on all 120 of them and they were all filled with God's Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability to do that. And that's when Peter also filled, the apostle Peter, he was filled with the Spirit, and he began to preach. And he preached about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. He was a Jesus preacher. And after he preached about Jesus dying for your sins and God raising him from the dead, and then there were those who gladly received him. 3,000 people received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And verse 41 says... 
then they were all baptized. And it is this, this initiation by baptism of people with water, with water baptism. This, this, that's what baptism is about. It's about initiation into the body of Christ. It's the initiation into the church to be baptized. Now, being baptized doesn't save you. You've got to understand, they were baptized with the Spirit first. Then they were baptized with water. Because if you get baptized with water and you haven't been baptized with the Spirit, there's still no change in you. So the, the baptism of, with water is a representation of the fact you got baptized with, that you've already been submerged and emerged into the body of Christ by God's Holy Spirit. And so that the Apostle Paul then baptized them. And he only baptized the 3,000, verse 38 said, who repented. They, everybody didn't get baptized. It's the 3,000 people who changed their mind about Jesus. That's what baptism, that's what repentance is, is a changing of the mind. So you rejected Jesus publicly. Now you're receiving him publicly. You repented, you changed your mind, and you're going to let this be known by getting baptized. And, and, and verse 41 said, not just those who repented, but those who received the gospel message. Because if you don't receive, my, my childhood pastor used to say that if you get baptized and you have not been saved, he said, you go down a dry center, then you come back up a wet center. That's the only difference. And this, this baptism is not essential for salvation, but we get baptized out of obedience. Jesus said, go ye therefore and baptize. So we, we do it out of obedience. And we get baptized out of initiation into the body of Christ, initiation into the church, it's where we start with him. So when they got saved, the first thing they did was to get baptized. And baptism is about identification. In Romans 5, it says that you're buried with Christ in baptism and to be raised to walk in the newness of life. So when we are baptized with water, we identify with the death and the burial of Jesus to be raised to walk in the newness of life. So we identify with his resurrection. That's what baptism is all about. And, and so they, they repented, uh, they received the message, and when they were baptized by water, it was in the name of Jesus. Now, I want you to understand, when the Bible talks about in the name of Jesus, it doesn't just mean saying his name. Even Jesus said, there are going to be those who say unto me, Lord, Lord, and they're not getting into the kingdom because they're not doing the will of the Father. So just, you can't, when Jesus says, you, you, you've been praying, but up until now, you have not prayed in my name. That doesn't mean now just start saying at the end of your prayer, in the name of Jesus. That's not praying in his name. Praying in the name of Jesus, names for Hebrew people deal with character, nature, authority, and power. So when you get baptized in the name of Jesus, it's in the character of Jesus, it's in the nature of Jesus, it's in the authority of Jesus, and it's in the power of Jesus. And so this, the, all this starts with this initiation by water baptism by people who repent and receive the message, and they're baptized in the character, the nature, the power, and the authority of Jesus Christ. And then you get to verse 47, and in verse 47 it says, and they continue steadfastly in the apostles, in verse 42, I'm sorry, verse 42. And they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayer. So now you get to this initiation into baptism, now this continuation. Here's what I mean by this. Um, 
Pastor Eric Wiggins talks about how the difference between Play-Doh and goo or silly putty, whatever you all call it. And with, with, with Play-Doh, you can, you, know, you can shape Play-Doh into anything that your creativity or ability allows, from dinosaurs to cars to houses, because Play-Doh keeps its form and keeps its shape. Where silly putty or goo is just slimy, goes through your hand, you can stretch, but it, you can't, it can't hold its form, it can't hold its shape. Here's what Eric Wiggins says, and you can do your own research on this, that Play-Doh and, and this, this putty, it has the exact same elements in it, the exact same ingredients. The only difference is consistency. So goo that's slimy and goes through your hand, and Play-Doh that you can shape and form based on your creativity and ability, and it keeps its shape and form, the only difference is consistency. Here's why I want to bring that up. Have you ever noticed how some people's lives are taking shape and form and holding it together and the rest of us are all slimy and no shape and form? The answer is consistency. Here's why I'm bringing that up. And they continued steadfastly. They were consistent. They were persistent. They stuck with it. They hung on in there. They kept on doing it. They wouldn't stop. And because of that, that's why they ended up being a great church because the church at its birth is a church at its best. Well, what were they consistent in? They were consistent in, in biblical principles. They continued steadfastly in biblical principles, in the apostles' doctrine. Of course, Jesus told in Matthew, Jesus told the disciples, I want you to teach them to observe everything that I taught you. So the apostles' doctrine is Jesus' doctrine. Jesus' doctrine is the apostles' doctrine, and it ought to be our doctrine. Because one translation says, and they were devoted to the apostles' doctrine. And a lot of us, we're not consistent with the apostles' doctrine. We are, as the apostle Paul says, we are tossed and driven by every wind and doctrine. That's why you believe one thing one month, something else the next month, another thing another month, depending upon who you're listening to and following on social media and, and the group that you're hanging out with then you keep changing. That's why you slimy and have no shape and form. Because of the lack of consistency. But they would consistently, with continuation, y'all, they adhere to, embrace, devoted to the, the apostles' doctrine. Now, it doesn't, y'all, I listen to all kind of stuff all the time, just like y'all. You know, when you go to school, all the philosophy and all the ideology. I've traveled the world, all kind of theology, all kind. And, and I've listened to it, but I don't adhere to it. I don't embrace it. I'm not consistent with it because if it doesn't line up with the apostles' doctrine, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And that's why my life has taken shape and form. I wish I was getting this. It's the consistency in, in the biblical principles. Y'all, in the 21st century, there's no reason why a believer can't pick up this Bible every day and read God's Word every day. In the 21st century? And, and, and I know, the, and my favorite version is the King James Version, and I don't, this is not a put down the King James Version. I love it. It's very descriptive and all that kind of stuff. But y'all, words change meanings through the years. And what words meant in the 17th century when we got the, the King James Version, those words mean something different today. That's why we have these other translations. And so just find it. 
here's what Nancy Rogers, Nancy Silvers Rogers said, find a translation that reads the way you talk. And even if you can't read, it's the 21st century. Your smart device will read it for you. Well, I don't have a smart device. You got a CD player? They got CDs that just read the Bible. Just when you're driving down the street in your car, I don't have a CD. Get a cassette. They got cassette, still got them. Put it in your cassette player, it'll read the Bible for you. And because in the first century, that's how they got the word anyway. Somebody would stand up in the public, because most folk in the first century were illiterate. They couldn't read. So the scribes would stand up and read. That's why we know Jesus was educated, because when he went into the temple, he opened the book and he read from it. Because people talking about, well, I didn't go to school and Jesus didn't go to school. He went somewhere, he could read. He was homeschooled, so he did something. And there's no excuse why we don't have continuation. I'm going to say this, and i got to move on to the next thing, because really, I only got one point today. And Anthony Murdoch II helped me with this. I went to a Martin Luther King program. He was on for the invocation. It was um, the, the black student government of Indiana University, Purdue University in Indianapolis. And he got up for the invocation, and right before he prayed, he said that last year he had made up in his mind to have a discipline where he would listen to a sermon every single day for 365 days. Every, I read the Bible every day, but I don't always, I don't always listen to a sermon every day. But he said that he, he had that day because he wanted to continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Then he mentioned the four preachers that he would listen to in that 365 days. Here's why that's so significant. Because in his mind, these four preachers, and I, I'm glad I made the cut. I'm one of the four. <laughs> these four preachers line up with the apostles' doctrine, with his understanding of what the scriptures are saying. So that this continuation every day, not just initiation by being baptized, but continuation in biblical principles in the word of God. I'm rushing this. And there was a continuation in with being with believing people, right? They, they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, in koinonia, in being around people that believed. And that's the thing that we, if we're going to have some shape and form to our life, we got to, y'all, sometimes we, we come to church, we hear God's word, somebody's preaching and teaching, we hear a, a sermon every day, and then we go hang out with people that steal that seed as soon as we get it. And you start questioning whether or not you need somebody that's going to reinforce. That's why the Bible says don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. We keep thinking that just means when you get married. That's not just when you get married. That's your friendships. That's your partnerships. That's your business partners. Y'all, that's in life, period. What, what fellowship does, does a believer have with a non-believer? That's what the Apostle Paul says. It's something about us coming together in fellowship that is significant, not just initiation, I got baptized, but what's your continuation when it comes to being around people who believe in the same Jesus, the same God, same Holy Spirit that you believe in? That's why the church is so important to help with that fellowship. Because here's what Jesus said about the church, and I preached this out at uh, Fisher's campus on Sunday, that, that the church is like a city set on a hill. Well, in a city, it's not just about isolation. It's about civilization. Right? It's about socialization. In a city, people come together to get things done. And he says the church is like a city, not you by yourself sitting off 
doing in, in rural in rural Christianity, but in the city with with socialization. That's why in Proverbs six, in Proverbs six, Solomon says that when you deal with issues in life, deal with them like a gazelle facing a hunter, like a bird facing a trap, like an ant working. Here's why Solomon mentioned a gazelle, a bird, and an ant, how people of faith ought to operate in life. Because gazelles, birds, and ants are all social creatures. Y'all, gazelles run in herds. They're not by themselves. Herds of 10, 20, 50, some as big as 100, they run in herds. Y'all, birds of a feather flock together. Birds are together. And ants operate in colonies where they take the different skills and abilities of the ants and they put it together for the benefit of the colony. And that's what he's saying that we ought to be as a people of faith, not just out there by yourself, but the fellowship of the saint. Continue to do this, stick with it, hang on in there, be consistent and persistent about being with people who believe like you believe. And then there was the continuation of what I call best practices. You got the initiation, you've been baptized. And I don't know why we put so much focus on initiation of the baptism. And we don't put any focus on the continuation on acting like we've been baptized. Yeah, we put all this focus, they got baptized. Well, they only got baptized one time. But they were under the apostles' doctrine every day. They fellowship every day. And here are the areas of best practices. It says that they came together to break bread. That's the Lord's Supper. We, we ought to be consistent and persistent about breaking bread, remembering the Lord's Supper, remembering Jesus died on the cross, God raising from the dead. The bread represents the body of Christ. The blood, the wine represents the blood of Jesus Christ. And when we internalize that body and blood, it's like internalizing the body, the body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we ought to do that consistently. We ought to do that all the time. It ought to be a part of who we, because we need to replay that, rehearse that, repeat that, all the time so that we're always remembering the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. When we're just hitting and missing and I don't need to do that, no, you're missing out on the continuation and the consistency we need in this particular area. So one of the areas of best practice is the Lord's Supper. The other area of best practice is prayer. And they continue steadfastly in prayer. You have to learn how to pray. And y'all, there's power in intercessory prayer that your mama prayed for you, your daddy praying, your big mama and big auntie and all, they all pray, I'm praying for you, that's all great. And y'all, God hears those prayers and he'll bless you. I believe you're at your best when you pray. And thank God the fervent and effectual prayers of the saints availeth much. There's power in prayer. When you ask, you receive. When you seek, you find. When you knock, the door is going to be open under you. It's a trick of the enemy to make you think that when you're praying, nothing is happening. Something is happening. God is hearing, hearing your prayer, and God answers that prayer. And even in a social context, when two or three gather together in his name, in that fellowship, and we're praying together, Jesus shows up in the midst of that. And you got to learn how to pray. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my word abide in you, you can ask what you will. And it's going to be done unto you. So what is the best practices? Do the Lord's Supper all the time, rehearsing that, repeating that, remembering that, praying. as all. Matter of fact, Paul said, you ought to pray without ceasing. 
there ought to be a time you're not praying. That's pray all the time. And then, and I didn't read verse 44 and 45, but, but in giving, we need to be consistent. Verse 44, Acts chapter 2. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Y'all, they didn't just come together and pray together and read God's word together. But they came together and they gave together. In that fellowship, it wasn't a segment of people that had everything and another group that had nothing. So here's a group that has more than they need, and here's another group that has less than their need. No, everybody's needs were met because they had a, a, a continuation. They continued steadfastly in giving, even if they had to go sell some of the stuff they had in order to be a blessing to other people so that everybody's needs were met. You know, that's, that's how... We, that's how we do it at Eastern Star Church. So when we have a care center and food and clothes and counseling and all the stuff that people need, the scholarships and all that kind of stuff, because we come together and we give so that everybody's needs are being met. That's how, we, that's how we're able to do affordable housing. That's how we're able to, to do affordable, healthy food options. That's how we're able to bless the kids at the school across the street because we've learned how to give. And some of us are missing out because you keep thinking every time we mention giving, we try to take something from you. No, you already had the initiation. You've been baptized. What you're missing out on is the continuation. Learn how to give. It's a part of it. And you really, when, we, when God asks you to give, he's not trying to take something from you. He's trying to set you up to give something to you. Think God trying to take something from you? God can take you and leave everything you got. No, let me rethink that. God can take everything you got and leave you. No, let me rethink that. God can take you and everything you got and leave nothing. God ain't dependent on you so that his work can go. God can do it without us. But when you bring the tithe, God opens the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. That when you give, God gives back to you. Good measures pressed down, shaken together, running over. That when you give to the poor, it's like lending to the Lord. And Solomon says he pays you back with interest. But that's, those are the practices, y'all, that, that we need to be following. That's, that's the consistency in it. Then one more with this continuation. They, they continue the continuation of blessed praise. And that is verse 47. And they were praising the Lord. And they were praising God. The text says that they were, they were doing this in the temple and from house to house. Because some of us, our argument is, well, you don't, you don't have to go to church. It said, well, they did this, verse 46, the stuff I just mentioned, they did it in the temple. That's God's house. Then they did it at their house. So they didn't just praise God at God's house. They praised God at their house. And they would go to the temple and they would worship there, but they would also ask the church as meeting with believers, fellowshipping, they would do it at different people's houses. And they would, the same practices that they followed at God's house, they follow their practices at their house. Now, if I were to follow you to your house, is it going to be time in God's word? Is it going to be time in fellowship with saints? Is it going to be time in prayer? Is it going to be anything to do with giving to, so that people's needs are met? 
Is there any praise that take place in your house? And some of y'all can't say yes because that's why it's so hard to get a praise by the time you get to God's house. Because if you start at your house, y'all ain't helping me with this today. <laughs> by the time you get to God's house, we ain't got to try to pull a praise out of you. Yeah, so they, they praise God. And, and, and there's a passage of Scripture that says, let us exalt his name together. We keep talking about, oh, you don't have to go to church. Yo, it ain't, they didn't go to church out of obligation. They went out of affection. Not because they had to, but because they wanted to. Because there's a place where I praise God by myself, but there's another place that let us exalt his name together. And these practices over and over and over and over, that's what makes the difference in the life of a child of a believer, in the life of a child of God. Now, Y'all know Patrick Mahomes, the, the young quarterback, Super Bowl quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs. They were doing something on, on uh, who they think is the best athlete in sports, not just their sport, but in sports. And the two names they were arguing about on ESPN was LeBron James and Patrick Mahomes. He's, he's that kind of player as a youngster, right? And, and Patrick Mahomes told his wide receivers, he said, listen, no matter what you see happening to me in the backfield, don't you stop running your route. So even if the, the, the defensive line is trying to chase me down and run me down, don't stop running your route. He said, because I'm going to get free. And when I get free, wherever you are, my arm is strong enough to get the ball to you. So if you're running a deep route, don't cut your route off because you wondered about what's happening to me back here. He said, keep running your route because wherever you end up, my arm is strong enough to get the ball to you. Here's what I'm trying to tell you about the God we serve. Y'all, don't stop running your route, no matter what folks are saying, no matter what people are thinking, no matter what you're going, keep running your route because wherever you end up, I serve a God that's strong enough to still get a blessing to you. Matter of fact, every time I turn around, He's blessing me. And here's, what I'm, here's the one point I'm trying to get across to you. Here's the one thing I want you to get today. When we take that initiation seriously, being baptized in the, in the, in the name and the authority and the power of Jesus and this continuation in God's word and with the saints and in prayer and remembering the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and in giving and in praising God, here's what it says God's going to do in verse 47 and the Lord added to the church those who were being saved and I want you to understand this is God doing the adding but God didn't do the adding until they had there was no addition until there was some continuation and when you have that continuation of what I just talked about don't worry about God's addition God is going to do what he said he's going to do, and God added to And sometimes, y'all, we're wondering why won't God add to what, what's going on in our life? It's because we won't do what we're supposed to do. The problem is never with God. What is it, Matthew 66? All these things will be added unto you. Right? He's talking about food and clothing and fundamental basic needs. And Jesus said, all these things will be added unto you. 
And somebody's thinking, well, wait a minute. I don't have all the food I need. I don't have all the clothing I need. All my needs are not being met. Yeah, because you missed the first part of that verse. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek ye first the rule, the reign, and the righteousness of God. And when you do that, that's when God's mathematics sets in and all these things are going to be added unto you. Philippians 4 and 19. My God shall supply. I'm trying to show you God is in the addition business. But Ephesians 4 and 19, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Somebody said, but all my needs haven't been supplied. That's because the first 19 verses talk about men, giving to the minister and giving to the ministry. Y'all, when Paul wrote that, he wrote that from a, when he was in jail in Rome. And he was thanking the believers at Philippi for your generous financial gifts that you keep sending to me. He said, when I was in, in some cities, they wouldn't even provide for me. And y'all would send a, a financial gift to meet my needs all the time and the needs of the ministry. And he said, because you have met the minister's needs and because you've met the ministry's needs, he says, I'm writing to you from prison. I'm not, in a, I'm not even in a position to do anything back to you. But because you met the needs of the minister and because you met the needs of the ministry, my God is going to have some addition in your life. God's mathematics is getting ready to set in. My God shall supply all your needs. I don't know why y'all ain't saying amen. We looked at this Sunday at this location in John chapter 6. There was 5,000 men plus women and children. Some theologians say as many as 20,000 people. And all Jesus had was a little boy's lunch of two pieces of fish and five cheap barley rolls, biscuits. And Jesus said, set them down, we get ready to feed them. Just, and you know, Peter, who was it, Philip? And Peter said, how are you going to feed all these people of two pieces of fish and five biscuits? And Jesus said, you can't even help your children with their mathematics homework. Don't try to figure out what I'm getting ready to do here. And the old preacher said it wasn't addition, it was multiplication. He, he, he multiplied by dividing. And when Jesus got finished with that, he took up 12 baskets of leftovers because I serve a God that's in the adding business. And when we are in God's word and when we're praying and when we're serious about the Lord's Supper and when we're giving and when we're praising God, my God, here, the Lord added to the church. And notice, it's God doing the adding. Because everybody at church, God didn't add them. Y'all, there's, there's some folk that have been added to the church. God didn't add them. I mean, we take your word for it that you came on the confession of your faith and obedience unto God. We, we took your word for it. But I learned a long time ago that Satan adds to the church too. When, when Peter first met Jesus, it was in the synagogue. Jesus was up preaching. And there was a man with an evil spirit that interrupted Jesus' preaching. That's when you can tell when you got the wrong spirit in you, when you're interrupting the work of God in ministry, right? Which shows us that, y'all, even the devil comes to church. But here's my thing with you. Even though the devil comes to church, you don't have to be his Uber driver. I don't know why y'all ain't helping me with this. You don't have to be the one giving them transportation to get here. But here's what the text says, that the Lord adds to the church. And that's what we want. 
We want those that the Lord adds, because there, I tell young pastors all the time, there are ways to get people to, to add to your church, but it doesn't mean God did it. I tell them, there are, yo, when it comes to ministry, and believe me, out of 100 years, I've been here 31 of them. And when it comes to ministry, I learned this a long time ago, there are no shortcuts. I tell young preachers, if there were a shortcut, after 40 years in ministry, I would have found it by now. And just because folk are added to your church doesn't mean the Lord did it, because there, there are ways you can get folk added to your church. Matter of fact, when Jesus, Matthew 4, when Jesus got, Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he started his earthly ministry, and he came out of the wilderness, and it said he was tempted of the devil, right? And when he was tempted of the devil, the devil tempted Jesus in three areas. And one of the areas he tempted him in was to turn stone into bread. Because the temptation to Jesus was this. Rather than doing ministry the way God designed it, I'm going to give you a shortcut. If you can turn stone into bread, I guarantee you people will follow you. And I know that to be the case because Jesus took two pieces of fish, five biscuits, fed 20,000 people, right? And those same 20,000 came back the next day. And Jesus said, the only reason y'all came back because I gave y'all some bread, gave y'all fish. He said, I'm not doing that today. And they left. As long as he had a, a bread giveaway, as long as he would give them gift cards for bread and fish, the house was packed. And Jesus said, but that's not the kind of church, that's not the kind of ministry I want to have. He said, I want you to eat of my body and drink of my blood. I'm the bread of life. I want you to have eternal life. And that's not the way you're going. And that doesn't mean don't feed the hungry. So don't y'all go misquote me. That, that's not what that means. But that doesn't mean feed the hungry to add to your church. We feed the hungry because the Lord told us to feed the hungry. We, we help people in need because the Lord told us to help people in need. That's not the way you're supposed to add to your church. I just went through how you add to your church. And then as soon as you stop that, 20,000 folk will leave. And Jesus said, I'd rather have 12 followers than 20,000 fans. I'm just trying to show you there are ways to add to the church. He took... When the devil tempted Jesus, he took him on the highest part of the temple and told Jesus to jump down from the temple. Angels will catch you. And when all these folk hanging out at the temples, see you jumping from up there, landing down here and landing safe. Jesus, you ain't got to worry about going to no cross and sacrifice. You have an instant following because they'll see how sensational you are. You know how many churches are being added to because of sensationalism? I just told you that this church grew off of preaching about Jesus and the Lord added to it. We done skipped that. We just, we jumping from the pinnacle of the temple and over pews and from chandelier to chandelier. And I'm not saying don't shout, but don't shout to add people. To, boy, y'all ain't getting none of this today. We become the greatest show on earth. Y'all do know Ringling Brothers and Parliament Bailey Circus shut down. And I think they shut down because the churches took it over. <laughs> After I leave church, <laughs> I don't need to go to the circus. Okay, y'all, 
Don't act like y'all ain't seen these circuses. And here's the thing about that sensationalism when you, when you add like that. Because Ringling Brothers and Barlow Day Circus used to come to Indianapolis and spend two weeks downtown Indianapolis. 15,000 people for two straight weeks will pack out. It used to be Conseco Fieldhouse and pack it out, watching monkeys jumping through hoops and lions jumping through rings of fire and elephants, you know, holding each other's tails, walking around, all that kind of stuff. Clowns, getting in, 20 clowns getting out of a little car and pack it out for two, because you can draw a, a crowd with sensationalism. But here's what I want to tell you about Ringling Brothers and Brown Betty Circus. After two weeks, they had to leave, because people get tired of seeing monkeys jumping through hoops. <laughs> and you can build your church off that. <laughs> Boy, I don't know why y'all helping me. You can build your church off that if you want to, but it ain't going to last. Nobody wants to see a monkey jump through a hoop every time they show up at the sanctuary. And then he, he told Jesus the third temptation. If you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Man, I've been reading that wrong all these years. I'm thinking, he told Jesus, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms in the world. That's not what he told him. Told him, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. I'll give you all the kingdoms in the world territory. Y'all, because those of us who are people of faith, we in the world, but we ain't of the world. And Jesus said that you, you can't tempt the Lord thy God. And Jesus turned to prayer and, and, and to the word of God. And the word of God says that he began to repeat God's word because Jesus says, the same thing I'm trying to tell us today, that if God doesn't add it, you shouldn't want it. I made up my mind a long time ago, whether it's my family, whether it's me individually, whether it's my ministry, whether it's the church, that if God doesn't give it to me, I don't want it. Yo, if I got to lie, cheat, steal, and manipulate to get it, that means God didn't get God, I ain't got to lie with you, for you, on you, to you, or lie down with you. If God wants to give it to me, God will add it. Do I have a witness in here? I just have to learn how to have consistency in God's Word. Consistency hanging out with God's people. Consistency in remembering the sacrifice Jesus made for me. Consistency in calling on the name of the Lord. Consistently, consistently given to those who are in need. And every day giving God praise, honor, and glory. And when I stick with it and hang on in there, God said, Jeffrey Johnson, I'm going to add. I'm going to close with this because some of y'all on the verge of giving up right now. On the verge of throwing in the towel, holding up the white flag of surrender, giving up the ship. And the Lord told me to tell you, he's still in the addition business. But you got to learn how to stick with, hang on in there. When was it? Uh, May 27, 2018, at the Indianapolis 500, um, the greatest racing, the greatest spectacle in racing, Indianapolis 500. And it was, it was a weird kind of race because uh, all kind of stuff was happening in 2018 at the 500. Danica Patrick was in that race and, and her car wrecked. Two other drivers hit the wall, crashed and burned, right? 
Uh, somebody else ran out of gas in the race. And three cars that were near the front leading the race ended up falling way back because they were running out of fuel and had to go into a pit stop towards the end of the race and folk just went on past them. But here's what I want to tell you, that the one that got the victory, that's the one I want you to focus in on. The one that won May 27, 2018, he ended up as 500. When he got the victory, he got it because when other folk were wrecking, he kept going. When other folks hit a wall, he kept going. When other people ran out of gas, he kept going. When other people pulled over, he kept going, and that's why he got the victory. And I know why y'all not saying amen, because I didn't tell y'all the name of the winner of the race. The name of the winner of the race in 2018 was Willpower. And when folk ran out of gas, Willpower kept going. When folk crashed and burned, Willpower kept going. When folk were left wrecked, Willpower kept going. When people gave up, Willpower kept going. And I know I got a witness in here that has seen lives wrecked, seen others crash and burn, seen others run out of gas, but you kept on going because you and God with willpower can make it to the destination and get the victory God wants you to have. Amen, amen, amen. Somebody give glory to God in this house today. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.